Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Hello again and welcome back to the Anfield Index Writers Podcast. I am Tom Holmes and joining me as ever is my wonderful co-host Leanne Prescott. Leanne, did you have a good Christmas and New Year? Yeah, it was good, thank you. Good to be back. Um, first part of 2019, so good to yeah, good to be back and good to be discussing Liverpool who are in a great position still. So lots to look forward to and lots of positives for this podcast. Yeah, it's been a couple of weeks since um, since you and I got together to do this, given you know Christmas, New Year, that kind of thing, but we are as you say, really glad to be back. I'm really glad to be digging right into Liverpool season. And joining myself and Leanne today, we have got David Comerford. Dave, how are you, my friend? Yeah, not bad. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, no, it's great to have you on. And we are going to jump straight into it. And we're going to talk about an article that you have written, which is on Mo Salah. And it's about, uh, you know, Mo Salah. A lot of people talk about Mo's goals. And there's a reason for that, because he's one of the most prolific goal scorers in Europe. But there's a lot more to his game than just simply being, you know, the, the lad who sticks the ball in the back of the net. You know, there's so many different elements to his game. Um, and I think you've written a really, really interesting article on it. So I'm going to let you introduce the topic. Um, so why don't you just sort of, yeah, give us your thoughts on Mo Salah overall. How has his season gone so up until this point? And how important do you think it is to the team that he's contributing more than just goals up until this point? OK, so uh, this article was basically basically came from when I was watching those games over Christmas and I think I just I just noticed that Salah's contribution was starting to extend to chance creation as well as just putting the ball in the back of the net and obviously because of what he did last season that's how his contribution is going to be measured um, during the season and probably at the end of the season as well um, but yeah I just noticed that he was like for just thinking of one example I think it was in the Arsenal game. There was this lovely little interchange with Fabinho where he ended up like back heeling and through and stuff. And I was just, yeah, I was just thinking like, there's this conception that Salah's just a finisher, but it seemed to me that, um, there was like an extra element to his game, which was sort of going under the radar a bit. So, um, once I noticed that, uh, popping up in a few games, I just decided to write this article about it. So I talked quite a bit about how despite him being played as the lone striker this season rather than on the right wing, you'd think that would actually make him like less creative and possibly more selfish. But if anything, he seems to be contributing more all round to the team in that position. So yeah, I just talked about how he's sort of become a more complete player um, in that role. And then the discussion sort of evolved into, um, because he has these attributes, why I think he warrants a place like in the discussion of the best players in the league. And I'm not sure whether you two would agree with this, but to me, it seems like it's always Hazard or De Bruyne and then potentially David Silva as the sort of third party in that discussion. Um, but I think Salah warrants a place there. And then towards the end of the article, I was just thinking sort of the bigger picture. In terms of Salah personally, um, how 2019 could be. This article was written towards the end of last year, so how 2019 could be a really big year in his career with not only Liverpool in the title race, obviously, but Egypt as well. I think the African Cup of Nations this summer, so I imagine they've got a pretty good chance of, of going all the way there. And yeah, in terms of Salah in the next few years, 
how he might end up like challenging to be like the very best player in the world because as we know Ronaldo and Messi um on top of the pile for but you'd imagine that um they'll start to drop a level or so in the next in the next few years so there's going to be a new sort of batch if you like of like the very best players and I think Salah's going to be right at the forefront of that so so yeah it was kind of a strange article really to talk about how try and justify saying that somebody who scored so many goals was slightly underrated in a way but but yeah, it was just something I was diagnosed, which I thought wasn't really being uh, discussed that much. Yeah, okay. I mean, I'm going to, before we go to Tia, I'm just going to jump in with a couple of numbers. So last season, uh, as you said in the article, Salah created 10 assists for teammates, which was the most in this Liverpool team. He had the highest expected assists in the team, which was 8.3. Um, but this season already, he's looking like he's definitely going to surpass that. He's already up to 7.8 expected assists compared to the second highest player in our team, which is Andy Robertson with 4.2. Um, and obviously, he's already got seven assists compared to Robertson's two. As you pointed out in the article, he's created 12 big chances. And Robertson's our second highest in that front as well. He's created six. So it's pretty pretty staggering just how much, by far and away, Mo is our most creative player on top of being our, our best goal scorer. And Leanne, I'll we'll get into all the stuff about him, about him compared to other players, and how big his year is going to be, and that kind of stuff. But just uh, focusing briefly on the creativity side of Mo Salah's game, how important, how big do you think his creative contribution has been this season, and how important has that been to Liverpool's role in the side uh, in what's been a, a very sort of different year for us? Yeah, I think it's been massive. I I think a, a key part of it has been Roberto Firmino, who obviously hasn't really hit the heights of last season. Um, he's been playing a more withdrawn role. Salah's come into that central role, and and where Firmino used to shine and really, you know, sit deep and and drop off and provide the chances for others. Now Salah's kind of fulfilling that role. That's not to say players like Firmino and Mane aren't uh, still crucial. It is not just Mo Salah um, that you know that's doing all of this for Liverpool, and that should be noted. The other two do deserve massive credit, but it is a bit like Salah has taken up the the mantle of the Firmino role. He's become that kind of all-consuming power that, that can provide assists, can dance around players, can score great goals, can race past players, can put it into the box for his teammates as well. So he's kind of got a little bit of everything. And I think because of that, he's become even more an, an important part of this Liverpool attack. I know last season he was tearing it up in terms of goals, but this season, as Dave has said there, he's also now contributing more with the assists. And it, the, the space and actual, like positions that he takes up is remarkable it, it's almost like he's creating space for other people and he reads the game at a pace that other people can't um so yeah I, I think he's having a really really good season I think uh he deserves a lot of credit for the way he's adapted to a, a new role in many ways it took him a little bit of time to get going which is understandable but his creativity is really really shining now yeah I completely agree um he's a fantastic player in so many respects um, so Dave, I want to go back to you for sort of the first sort of big question here, which is how important is Salah to this Liverpool attack? Because as we've sort of touched on at the moment, he is both Liverpool's most creative player by a country mile and also the player that ends up having the most chances, you know, for Liverpool as well. He scored the most goals. He has the highest XG. He has the most shots. So in terms of the attack, how much of that attack is built around Salah, do you think? And how important is his performance to the way this attack is functioning? Well, I think it was quite interesting what Leanne said about him taking up the Firmino role, because obviously, um, for quite a large portion, <laughs> large portion of the autumn, Firmino was sort of quite below par. Obviously, he set quite a high standard last season, so, um, it was difficult to live up to that, but, but yeah, when he, when his performance levels started to decline, um, we could easily have missed the creative presence because, it's going back quite a long way now, but if you remember at the start of the season, we were talking about how, like, we might lack a bit of creativity in the team. Obviously, Shakiri's helped to remedy that a little bit, but it's, um, it's still something that, you know, if you take out Salah's goal contributions in terms of assists, maybe that discussion would still be going on. So, so yeah, I think it's interesting. Obviously, we've got two players in Mane and Firmino are pretty explosive as well. So, if you t- took Salah out of the team, I think we still score plenty of goals. But um especially with especially with um Shakiri. Shakiri there as well to potentially replace Salah if he received an injury. So yeah, I think the goal scoring would 
we still score an amount of goals, it should be right up there with the top four. But um, if Salah's taking up the mantle, not only of the goal scorer, but also of the creator, then it's it's almost strange to say, but he could be potentially more important than he was last season, even though he was head and shoulders above the rest of the team for, for goal scoring last season, because Salah doesn't need to score 44 goals in this Liverpool team. If anything, it could be more more beneficial if that if there's more of a balance between goals and assists, um, or not really goals and assists, but in terms of the finishing and the creativity and the selflessness that um, very few strikers actually show. So yeah, I think um, potentially even more important than last season. Okay, I'm going to bring in Ash Hebbs here, who's uh, who's joining us as well. Ash, it's good to have you on. Just going to hit you with a couple of Mo's numbers compared to last season. So last okay, season, so Mo last season he was on 0.77 expected goals per 90. This season that's down slightly to 0.65. But in terms of expected assists per 90, so in terms of creativity, Mo's actually up significantly from 0.25 last year to 0.4 this year, which is pretty incredible. Um, so in terms of that change. Where do you think the biggest shift has been in terms of Mo's performance levels? What is it you think about his game that has led to him being sort of maybe more creative and not necessarily less effective in the in terms of goal scoring, but just sort of slightly uh, more well-rounded, as as Dave was alluding to? Sure. I think I think with Salah, he's had to adapt his game a little bit because he's a bit more of a known quantity this season. So I think one of the things that he's had to do is just Obviously, he's getting a lot more attention now from the defenders and he's having to play a slightly different game. You know, he's fundamentally still the same player, I think, more or less. But I think he's just having to find space in different areas, you know, interchanging roles. There's been different formations being used. So I think he's probably become, you know, I would say it's a good thing. He's come, becoming more of a versatile player. Um, I think he was a brilliant kind of poacher, stroke individualist. So he had a nice blend last season of, you know, being in the right place at the right time, always getting on the end of decent chances, sometimes finishing them really well, you know, um, sometimes not so well. But as the season went on, obviously his general confidence grew. Uh, but I think what we're seeing now is a bit more of a rounded player this season, um, notwithstanding his injury that he had earlier in the season, which I think did affect his performance levels. And just that, that shoulder injury was quite detrimental to his overall play, I think, in terms of the strength he was able to show on the ball. And I think in recent weeks, we're seeing some of that old strength return. But I think just the general dynamic of the front three stroke for that front four, you know, obviously as we alternate between the 4-3-3 and the 4-2-3-1, I think it's just meant a change for Bobby as well. You know, Mane alternates from side to side, uh, from one side to another from time to time. So I think we're just seeing probably evidence in those numbers of the general more tactical flexibility in our attack. I would say. Um, yeah, some really, really good points there. Um, I'm going to bring you back in here, Leanne, because I do have a question about um, one element of Mo Salah's game that we don't really talk about quite as much. Obviously, you know, the creativity is something that we maybe maybe could be talked about more. But another aspect of Mo's game that isn't necessarily talked about is his dribbling. Because, you know, a lot of people say, oh, well, you know, he doesn't dribble as much as Hazard. He's not as, you know, that's one element of his game where he maybe doesn't. And maybe that's because he doesn't hit sort of the high, high numbers. You know, Mo dribbles about twice a game, which is fairly good for a top-level winger, but it's not, you know, it's not Messi, it's not Hazard who are going, you know, sort of fours and fives. But what I think maybe is interesting about Salah's game, and I, I'm curious to get your thoughts on this, do you think he dribbles maybe more effectively? Because when Mo dribbles, he doesn't necessarily dribble as much, but when he does dribble, it tends to make more of an impact. So he's not just dribbling for the sake of dribbling. Is that something you'd agree with or do you think that it's just the case that he is more maybe sees less of the ball and is maybe more selective because of the fact he plays sort of more on the uh, on the last shoulder rather than as a sort of a deep lying player i think it all all kind of comes back to his creativity he he knows where the pass is and if the pass isn't on he'll dribble it but he also won't um just dribble for the sake of it as you say he he picks and chooses his moments very very well and that all bides into this idea of him being a creative force this season and him being the finisher and i think the reason why people maybe don't talk about his dribbling as much as as players like hazard who you mentioned is because he's got so many aspects to his game someone like eden hazard very very talented player don't get me wrong but a big big aspect of his game is his need to dribble because a lot of the time Chelsea if they're not playing well they'll turn to Hazard and he'll be the one to make something happen he will have to say you know come on lads let's step it up a gear let me do 
my thing. Whereas Salah, he's got players around him like Firmino, like Mane, like Shakiri, who are creating this space. And so when he gets the chance to dribble, he will take it and he will use it very, very effectively to, to pick out those players and pinpoint dangerous areas for the attack. And I think it, it's just a case, everyone knows Salah is a very, very good player. He's very, very talented. Um, and because he's got so many aspects of his game, because he is all-rounded, he therefore maybe doesn't get the appreciation in terms of his dribbles. But as I said, I think it just comes down to his creative eye. And when he's on the ball, when he's dribbling, he knows how to use it. And okay, he might do not do it as often as players like Hazard, but actually it's it's done very effectively. Yeah, I completely agree with that. Um, there was a graph that went around earlier on in the season. I'm, it's obviously not up to date anymore because it was, I think it was from a couple of months ago, but it was, it, what the graph was, was it was talking about, um, how players increase the XG in a move by their dribbling. And uh, there was, Mo was on the list and he was so far ahead of everyone else on the list. It was frightening. I'm going to try and find the graph. But, um, so basically what it was is X and a Y. And along the X, it was XG created per dribble. So, uh, you know, if when, when, what the XG of a move would be at the start of it versus at the end. So how much the player has actually improved the chances of scoring through his dribble. And then the other axis was obviously how often the player dribbles. And there was a, a Mo was just such a significant outlier. It was unreal. And this was like, I think it was in the Premier League. So you've got Hazard, who's a really high percentage dribbler. And to be fair, he still creates quite a few decent chances as a result of that. But Mo was just the quality of his dribbles and the efficiency of his dribbles was just so far ahead of everyone else. It was frightening. Um, so I think that's, you know, one element of his game that I think is really important and maybe not as appreciated as it could be. Um, so I want to move the topic back to something that you mentioned, Dave, which is about whether or not Mo Salah is the best player in the league and whether or not he can be compared to the likes of Hazard, the likes of, uh, as you say, De Bruyne, David Silva. Um, I want to take this question in sort of two parts. I'm going to ask you the first part, Dave which is comparing Salah to other sort of attackers that are around his level. So maybe the, you can include De Bruyne in this one, but the likes of Hazard, the likes of, to an extent, someone like Kane, um, probably just about include David Silver in this question as well. Um, how do you think Salah stacks up compared compared to all those sort of other elite attackers that maybe would be discussed as as the best in the league? And I, I do think when you're discussing it, it is worth noting Salah, Salah did get the, uh, the PFA Player of the Year award last year, so it's not as if he's unrecognized amongst his peers in that respect it's fair to say yeah um that's why it was slightly difficult for me to try and sort of justify that part of the article but um yeah i think the it was the tally of goals which secured that award understandably but when you have pundits talking about like what pundits debating who the best player in the league is it does tend to be a hazard de Bruyne discussion and i just think I mean, the, simp- the simplest answer is that in, in each department, I think he can, he sort of has the, all the qualities. So yeah, he has Kane's sort of firepower. He has Hazard's ability. Maybe not, um, maybe can't totally quite match Hazard in there, this respect, but he beats, he beats players easily sometimes. I mean, just thinking back to that Champions League game against Napoli, for example, someone like Koulibaly, one of the best centre backs in Europe, probably. Very strong, very fast player, and he just shrugged them off um, in the lead up to the goal. So, and he can also just sprint past players either or use skill, as we saw with that that goal against Tottenham last season. So, I just think that if you're looking at the best attackers in the Premier League, um, and Kane and Hazard are probably the two you'd think of. Um, and if you can want to bring De Bruyne in as well, he can. He's got the capacity to score those unbelievable goals. But yeah, if you look at those individual attackers. And their outstanding qualities. I think Salah is able to match them in those departments. And yeah, Ash, this is a question I'm also going to bounce off you. Um, how? Yeah, it's the same same question basically. How do you think Salah stacks up to the likes of Hazard, Kane, uh, De Bruyne, those sorts of attacking players? And, and what is it about Salah? Do you think that sets him apart maybe from all the rest? Because I think you know, there's, I doubt, I doubt there's going to be any Liverpool supporters out there who wouldn't argue that Salah's the best attacker in the attacker in the whole de- in the whole division. So what is it for you that sets him apart beyond obviously just the, the combination of goals, assists, that sort of thing? I think what it is for me, Tom, um, Salah is just perfect for our system. I think you take him out of our system and put him in any other team. He might not have the same impact, but I think this is really testament to what Michael Edwards and Klopp have done. They've really, they're very ruthless about the type of player profile they go for. So when they're going for a player, 
they look at all the different characteristics and you know how well they'll fit into the system and it's very much a stats driven process that's backed up by some good scouting as well so i think just just the combination of our sort of high octane style our quick transition game utilizing salah's pace you know his strength interchangeability with the front three i think klopp's just designed a beautiful system there with that front three so that when they get the service i mean obviously they can create their own chances as we've seen so many times last season with salah and sometimes this season as well uh, but i think it's just a beautiful blend you know where everyone just complements each other so well you know you've got the strength of mané and his drive and power you've got bobby you know very cute at pressing and picking up little pockets of space and then Salah just, you know, gives him that freedom to really express himself. And I think it's just his energy which sets him apart from everybody else because he just seems to always be on the move, always looking out for space. I think his movement is just world class. I think that's what really gives him the edge, even though defenders know what's coming. Even then it's, you know, you need to double up on him, maybe put three, four players on him. Um, and I think we're seeing as he gets stronger and he's recovering from this injury, He's just starting to hit the levels that he was hitting last season, and I think that's highly encouraging. And I think that's what it is. It's just consistency of performance with him, consistency of fitness. You know, he looks after himself very well, always in good shape. And I think he just, you know, he's got the game intelligence as well, which probably some of the other players don't have. I think Harry Kane, for example, is a very good player, don't get me wrong. But I don't think he's necessarily got the same game intelligence that Mo Salah does. Um, Hazard, we've spoken about, I think is an exceptional player. But I think just the sheer consistency of Salah is what sets him apart from the others. And I think that's just, you know, a combination of just being perfect for the system. The players around him that complement him very well. And I think just his physical conditioning as well. I think he's a, you know, phenomenal specimen in terms of, you know, from a physical sense. Yeah, I completely agree. Um, Leanne, I'm going to bounce to you for sort of the next sort of part of this question, which is obviously we, we, I think we're all pretty much in agreement that Mo Salah is the best sort of attacking player in the league. But, is he the best player in the league for you? I mean, one other player that obviously has to come into this conversation is Virgil van Dijk, um, who we haven't really talked about recently. So I think it's good to sort of bring him in here. Which which of the I know a lot of people prefer, don't maybe not prefer, but think van Dijk is more important or think van Dijk's maybe better in his position than Mo is in his. So what's your take on that sort of debate? Which of these players in Salah and van Dijk do you think is the best sort of out and out player in the division? And which one do you think is more important? And sort of maybe why do you think that that's the case? I think that's that's an impossible question really because as you said there they're both they're both very very good at their jobs but their jobs are so different that comparing them almost seems pointless because if it would be wrong to say oh Van Dijk is better because Salah is still phenomenal at what he does and and vice versa so I think the only way you can really read that question is in terms of importance uh, Virgil Van Dijk has obviously come in and and he's really really helped Liverpool in terms of strengthening at the back um, his leadership, his confidence and his all-round experience really has just helped transform this Liverpool team from back to front. But again, you can say the same for Salah. You can say that his goals and everything he achieved last season put Liverpool where they were. They it, it helped them get to Kiev. He's been such a big part of this season as well. So for me, I, I, I actually i am going to refuse to really answer the question, just mainly on the grounds that I think Van Dijk is superb at what he does and anyone, not even just Liverpool fans, anyone would agree that he's one of, if not the best defender in the Premier League, uh, one of the best defenders in the world. I think he deserves immense credit for what he's done. Uh, people will say, you know, one man can't fix a defence, but Virgil van Dijk probably can. And I think he has, um, along with the help of his teammates. And and Salah, you know, he's come in, he's made such an impact since joining Liverpool. He's really put to bed this idea that he was a Chelsea reject and that he couldn't make it in the Premier League. And here we are, being able to enjoy both of them at very, very different ends of the pitch. So I think they've both really helped transform Liverpool from where we were to where we are now. And they deserve credit for that. But they are two di- very, very different players. And so comparing them is very difficult. Yeah, I mean, I'd, I completely agree with everything you've said there, to be honest. I think, you know, it's it's a luxury to have when we've got the two best players in the league, the best attacker and the best defender. And we're in a situation where both of them are making huge contributions to our side. Um, but Dave, I'll let you have the final word on this one. Um, is there anything you wanted to sort of add on the, the Van Dyke salah question? Or sort of, you know, because this, this is maybe one of those interesting ones that I think maybe is sort of, has been debated in the fan base. You know, which of these players is more important to our side and which of these players does sort of make bigger uh, impact on the team? Um, 
and I think you know, it, for me personally, it is Salah. That is something that I, I make make no bones about about thinking. Um, but I'm curious to get your thoughts on it. I think it's quite interesting that you brought Van Dijk up actually because it wasn't he didn't actually factor into my thinking when I was writing it. But it's yeah, it's a valid point because obviously if he's one of the best defenders in the world, then therefore he has to be one of the best players in the Premier League. Um, I don't think. I'm certainly not going to dispute that he's one of the best in his position. Um, in terms of which is the most important, I just think, I think I'll have to disagree in that if you said to me, we're going to go to the end of the season without one of them, I think I'd just about say go without Salah because I, as I said before, I think we have goal scorers in the team, but if you took out Van Dijk, who's just obviously a world-class centre-back um, and has not single-handedly transformed the defence, but he's, had, he's obviously led that process. If you took him out of the team, I think that defensive strength, which this title challenge has been built on, would be quite heavily undermined. But it's very close. And obviously, I don't want to make it seem like Salah's just... like I don't want to undermine Salah's importance in any way, but I think Van Dijk just about edges it in terms of importance to the team. No, yeah, absolutely. As, as you know, as I say, it's it's a great situation being when you've got these two players that are absolutely phenomenal at both ends of the pitch, and you know both players are absolutely vital. And I think you know, I don't think, I think I think the point you made there is an excellent one, which is you know, it, it's not necessarily a disrespect to Salah to say Van Dijk's more important. It's just pointing out that that the quality around Salah is probably, I think most people would agree, the quality around Salah is higher than the quality around Van Dijk. Uh, and, I, you know, no disrespect to someone like Joe Gomez, who I think has been brilliant and, you know, the likes of Trent. But I just think, you know, they're not quite on the same level yet as Firmino and Mane, potentially. Um, although, as you say, that's not something that everyone would agree with. And, you know, that's the, it's a game of opinions, isn't it? And I think, as I say, it's a great situation to be in where we've got these two players that are just so important, so phenomenal. Um, I think that kind of rounds off the discussion on Salah. Um, I think, we've, uh, you know, there's a lot to chew on there. And I'm, I'm really glad we've got some great opinions on this one. Um, we will move on to talk about Ash's article, um, which is about why we can believe that Liverpool can win the league. I think this is a really interesting article to look at, which obviously we're going to do, because it was obviously written pre the Man City game, and there's a couple of bits in there that I thought were really interesting, uh, but were obviously based pre-City. Um, we'll talk about the article in a moment. But we are, we're, we're, I think it'll be good to talk about the article from the perspective of the City game's happened, so now what? So I think that'll be a great way of looking at it. Um, the article is obviously on sort of a, a multitude of reasons for us to believe that Liverpool can win the league. Um, so Ash, I will let you um, go first on this one. So what is it for you that makes you so sort of sure that Liverpool have the, we've got, what makes you sure we've got those reasons to believe that Liverpool can win the league? What is it for you that's so important about w- what we've seen in the last sort of month or so? Yeah, I think for me is is the big change in the um, the control that we got over games, Tom. You know, we did many podcasts last season where I think we, we drew too many games. We lost, you know, from, uh, or we lost winning, uh, positions, end up drawing games. I think now we found that really nice balance between being able to come back if we go a goal behind generally. I mean, we've done that, I think, I think every time we've gone behind, well, we have, yeah, every time we've gone behind this season. Um, so we're, we're not beaten easily. Um, Obviously, we've been, just been beaten by City, uh, but City were an exceptional side that put in an exceptional performance on the night. Um, but I think also just the, the control, we've not had the same nerves and that sense of uneasiness. So when we take a lead at the moment, you do believe that the team can kind of grind out the result and eventually they'll pick off the opposition. So that's been a really pleasing development in this team. Um, and it reminds me very much of... Um, Conte's Chelsea, you know, they weren't necessarily the most stylish team when they won the league in his first season. But I think there are, I do see certain parallels, although I'd say we have more attacking options and a bit more diversity in our play. But I think the encouraging thing is we've got real, you know, sluggers and able to just control the tempo of the game a lot better, slow it down, grind teams down. And then I think we, we almost grind teams into submission. You know, we've seen so many sort of turgid victories this season. I'm thinking of games like Leicester. Um, I think it was Huddersfield away, Brighton at home. Didn't play exceptionally well, but you never sensed that we were going to not win the game. And even at Burnley, you know, we went a goal down, goal that should never have stood. And then we came back slowly, played our football, got into it, and then ended up winning the game very comfortably. So I think I've just seen this team evolve, you know, from a 
a very good attacking team last season that was quite vulnerable to just a much more controlled, solid unit. And I think that, that I was a bit doubtful early on in the season. And some of you might remember on the writers chat, I was saying, you know, I'm not sure this is sustainable. You know, we had Naby Keito and Fabinho weren't really involved in the setup. And you think, well, you know, if these guys are struggling to get into the first team and we weren't playing particularly well, it didn't feel sustainable. You thought, hmm, there could be some structural problems here. But I think what it's shown actually is we have made a deliberate change in our style, which is working for the team and just, just helping build that consistency. And I think it's just coming to a nice point now where we just get, you know, we got through the Christmas fixture schedule, which wasn't too bad this season, to be fair. Um, but I think everyone's peaking at the right time. Players are coming to form at the right time. You've got Fabinho showing his qualities now. Obviously, the front three are starting to click a bit more. The goals are flowing. You've also got Naby Keita, who hasn't really made an impact yet, but he's shown glimpses of what he can do. And I'm absolutely no doubt whatsoever that, you know, once he's reached full fitness, he'll be a real asset to the team and just bring a different dynamic. And I think his goals, his three balls, his runs, you know, all, all of that is going to just add a totally different dynamic to our midfield. I think our strikers will benefit from that. I think, you know, obviously the midfielders will be a bit more liberated. We should hopefully see Keita... You know, even Fabinho's been get, get, you know, getting on the score sheet, getting forward. So I think everything seems to be pointing to a team that's really, you know, peaking at the right time. You know, they've ground through the difficult early starts of the season after the World Cup. People are coming to form and, you know, hopefully with a bit of luck with injuries, you know, we've got a squad that can now compete. And, um, I think it feels like sustainable performance. I think I concluded in the article. It feels like something sustainable rather than a flash in the pan. I know we lost to City, and there were reasons why we lost that game, but I think there's not necessarily any shame in losing to a team of that calibre. And, you know, they weren't going to just sit down, you know, lie down and die on the night. So I think, you know, that was their cup final. But, you know, I still expect them to drop points. So I think we're still right in the mix and uh, pretty confident, you know. But I think the Brighton game's an important game this weekend. You know, how can we react to that defeat? Quite a while since we played a proper competitive game. Can we just get back to winning ways and just make Man City, you know, put them on the back foot again, playing catch up? So I think overall I'm still confident. I think this team's here to stay, you know, in the title mix for the rest of the season. Yeah, I completely agree with all of that. I think I think you made a really good point there about it being a sustainable title challenge. And I think one thing just before we get into it, uh, one thing you said there about this team not going away for the rest of the season. I think it's fair to say at this stage, you know, this is a team that doesn't look like it's going to go away for the next two or three years. You know, a lot of people are talking about this season being a big season, but I think, you know, there's that element of, well, none of these players are getting any older. None of these players are going to be hitting their peak, are going to be out of their peak years for the next few years. So it certainly feels as though we are building a sustainable team that can go for the sort of next sort of two, three years at least. Um, Dave, I'm going to bring you in here. I want to ask you about our form because I think that's something that Ash mentioned that I think is really important. It, it certainly felt like in the sort of the month or so leading up to the City game, obviously we won eight games out of eight in December, that Liverpool's form was building to a crescendo. This was a team that had maybe sort of, you know, blown the cobwebs out a little bit and had got to a point where they looked really, really hot. Have you seen anything over the last sort of two games? Because obviously there was the City defeat and obviously the Wolves, the Wolves game is obviously a bit different uh, in that a lot of our starting 11 didn't play. But have you seen anything across those two games to sort of suggest that actually we might have to kind of start again against Brighton? Or do you think it is just going to be a case of sort of shrugging off what's happened with City and going and sort of picking up where we left off against the likes of Wolves and Newcastle? I think the, well, first of all, the Wolves game, it would have been nice to win just to maybe boost the mood slightly around the club and maybe the pressure going into Brighton's a little bit higher after that loss, especially because of how poor the performance was. But it's obviously not something that um, is going to affect the the sort of eight team, if you like. Um, the City game, I think the only thing which concerned me was how we did look very nervous in the first half, and obviously winning the titles about mentality as well as um, quality, the quality that you have within the team. And I just thought that we were really struggling to get a foothold in the game and especially during those first 15 minutes when City really pressed quite high up the pitch and we, we couldn't really get out. And then we improved in the second half and that's when we got the goal. But yeah, that would be that would be the main thing. Um, I mean, City are obviously an unbelievable team, so they can make good sides look, um, look a little bit ordinary at times. And we, that was the case. 
particularly in the first half. Um, but in terms of the Brighton game, I just think, um, in terms of the um, champions mentality, I was talking about you have to you have to respond to the setbacks that you get during the season. Um, I can't remember exactly what happened afterwards, but you know when we beat City um, last January, um, didn't seem to affect them too badly. They were just able to push it off and move on. I don't think there's any. I think it would be a mistake if we try and reset reset our mindset because you know it was in December that I thought we started to really look um, like a team worthy of winning the Premier League. So we just have to put it behind us and. Um, Based on what the players have been saying, that's what they've been looking to do. Just, um, just forget about City and, um, go into Brighton. Um, just trying to recover the levels that we had, um, in those games in December. And I think, I think we should be able to do that. Um, I think there's reason to have confidence in this team, not to have, um, any sort of after effects from that defeat. Um, I think especially when you're in the title race, it's not even been a week since Man City yet, but it feels like a lot longer. Um, I think time, I think time between games just seem um, quite a lot longer when it's this intense. So, so yeah, I think um, I think we will be able to respond, and I think by responding we can prove that we have the sort of metal that we that we'll need to to go all the way. Yeah, we'll talk a little more about about metal and about pressure in a little bit. Um, Leanne, in the meantime, um, sustainable is obviously one of the one of the big words that I thought um, Ash used that was really important. Is that how you see it as well? Do you see this Liverpool team as being capable of going to, you know, to Brighton away next up and just sort of being able to brush everything off and just keep going and find a way to win that game? Because finding ways to win has been a really, really big part of our season, particularly um, in those sorts of games against the likes of Brighton away, where on paper it's maybe a little a little trickier than we might have liked, but obviously we end up coming through anyway. So how important is it for you that we do just find a way to sort of get through these next few games, or do you think it's just going to be a case that we're going to go to that, get continue the sort of steamroller-like form that we were able to find before the City game? Yeah, I think it's. I think momentum is always a powerful tool, and uh, sustainability, as you, as you said there. I think Liverpool have been really, really good this season, but now is a test of the response and, and how the team can kind of lift their heads up even in training, the photos, Klopp was smiling. Everyone seemed to be having a, you know, having a good time. They didn't look like players who were really down in the dumps, having lost two games, which I think is a good thing. I think that that kind of shows that the the emphasis around the club is very much we're going to give this a go. A lot of people be discounting Liverpool, even though they're four points ahead, just purely because of how good this Man City team is. And that was the, you know, the uh, the narrative before the season started. It was going to be that City were going to breeze to the title and it, it's not panned out that way and Liverpool deserve a lot of credit for that but now it's all about the reaction as I said it's about picking yourself up from that Man City loss in particular I think I think the Wolves won I would have liked us to, to progress in the FA Cup but I do understand this idea that you know this is a great chance for us to win the league as Jamie Carragher said and, and therefore needs must and, and going out the FA Cup okay it's frustrating but but the focus is very much on the Premier League at the moment and there's bigger fish to fry so emphasis is really on that Brighton game in particular I think Brighton have had a really good season Chris Hewton's doing really well there um, and you know defensively they look very solid they're very well organised as a team um, they all kind of know their jobs they stick to it they do it well and they've got the ability to hurt you from set pieces. So I think it's it's a fixture that you're always wary of. And you know it's the Premier League. There's never an easy fixture, but it's one that Liverpool should be expected to win. And it's a it's a great chance for this team to kind of come out and say, okay, yes, we lost against City. We're still four points clear. The ball is still very much in our court, and we're going to smash it back to you by beating Brighton, by beating Palace, by beating Leicester. And really getting yourself back, getting that momentum back, getting the form back, and and kind of putting it in City's hands as well. Yeah, I completely agree. It's funny you mention, you know, our next three games: Brighton, Palace, Leicester. Brighton, Palace, Leicester are, you know, three. They're three of the four sides outside the top four that have the best defensive records. Uh, Brighton have conceded 29 goals, Palace 26, and Leicester 23. Only only Wolves with 25 have conceded less from teams who are outside the top, the top four, the top six. So. Well, no, the top four, actually. They've, they've both conceded less than Arsenal and Man United. So, you know, we're, we've got three games coming up against teams that are going to be very strong defensively, that aren't going to roll over for us. So I think it is very important that we find a way to, to respond to that City game very quickly. 
Um, and that brings me on nicely to my next point, um, which I'll go back to you for, Ash. Um, and that's about the question of the teams outside outside the top six, because we have now played two games against both City and Arsenal, which means we have only got three games left against teams inside the top six. So realistically now, we're looking at a situation where we won 14 out of 14 against teams outside the top six in the front half of the season. If we can do that again, there's every chance that City are going to drop enough points that we win the title, you know, more than it, more than every chance. So do you think that is something that we should be looking at? We should be saying, you know, this is our target for the back half of the season. Worry about the United game when we get there. Worry about the Chelsea game. Worry about the Spurs game when we get there. But for the moment, just focus on 14 games against sides that on paper we should be beating. And do you think it's plausible for us to sort of go and win 14 out of 14 again and, and use that as the springboard to put the title to bed? Yeah, it's an interesting question, Tom. I think, I think it's natural for everyone to be a bit nervous. I'm slightly nervous myself. I still think we can do it. But, you know, it's only four points now, which is really two draws. So I think your point about, you know, we're, we're coming up against some teams that are quite stable defensively. You know, it's a real test of character now to see how we handle Brighton on the weekend. And then, you know, Palace. I think both of them are beatable. And I think probably what Klopp's going to be emphasising in the... um in the training and the preparation for these games is just don't kind of Man City's happened now, just move on and keep doing what you were doing. And what we've been doing is fairly consistent in terms of our approach this season. So we're not going mad. We're conserving energy quite well in games, which I think really stands us in good stead because I think last season, going back to last season again, we used to come out of the blocks really quickly, you know, huff and puff. And sometimes we get an early goal and then we'd be able to hammer a few sides. But I think in some cases the goal didn't come straight away and then we used to tire. And then later on in games, we used to suffer a bit. And that's where we tended to draw a lot of games where we were conceding sort of sloppy goals later on in games where we, we just didn't have the same physical intensity. So I think really it's just about keeping our nerve and keeping our patience in these games. You know, they're all beatable sides. And I think, you know, the big games, I think there are certain question marks about our ability to win the big games. And I think a lot of that comes down to the quality of our midfield at times. I think the thing that reassures me about our midfield this season is you know, we've got two of the key players still haven't really hit their true level. You know, Fabinho and Cato, and I think they're just going to add such a different dimension if they can get fit and playing regularly and quickly. So I think the quality will come, and then we'll be able to go to places like Old Trafford and really run the show. Um, but I think, yeah, the key is just just keep doing what we're doing, focus on beating the sides that we know we can beat, keep it stable defensively. Don't go too crazy. Don't try and blow teams away. Just, just you know. Keep doing what we're doing. Keep that control and composure. And I think, you know, all things being well, we should we should be okay. Yeah, it's funny you mentioned the fast start because this is something I was looking at yesterday actually. And um, we've actually we're, we've actually led half time in thirteen of the seventeen games that we've won. We've scored twelve goals that have either uh, been equalisers or taking the lead inside the first. Uh, half an hour of games so you know clearly this fast start thing is something that Liverpool are doing more this season it's just that when we do tend to get a goal up we tend to be a bit more as you say controlled and structured about the way we're doing it yeah but it's been it's been quite rare that it's been quite rare that we've gone into the second half of games not not, you know needing to turn it around or needing to score score a goal and what, what I found really encouraging is that when we've been asked to go and turn games around late on we have been able to do that we've scored seven goals in the last 50 in the last half an hour of games that have either given us the lead or been an equaliser so you know there seems to be a multifaceted dimension to this Liverpool side at the moment which is that we can uh, there are situations where if where we are blowing teams out maybe not blowing teams out the water in quite the same way but we are getting the lead early on and holding on to it um, but equally there have been situations where we've had questions asked of us mentally and we've been able to respond to those um, and Dave I'm going to go to you here how how important is that for you, that Liverpool have found different ways to win, that Liverpool are becoming an increasingly all-rounded side? You know, that we are able to score goals early and then hold on to 1-0 leads for, for 70 minutes. But equally, that if the game gets to 60 minutes at 0-0, it's not necessarily a big issue. What's your take on that? And how important do you think that's going to be in the next sort of, uh, say, five league games before we go to Old Trafford? Well, I think for me, it's kind of an evolution from the last two seasons because... Um, if you remember, I think it was 16, 17, there was a lot of talk about, oh, we can't break down these teams that come to Anfield and sit deep. And that cost us quite a lot of points. That was, um, obviously less of an issue last season, but then, um, you had, um, pundits and supporters agreeing that we were still a, 
a centre back and a goalkeeper away from being able to challenge for the title. And then obviously we went out and got two world class players in those positions, which has given us the defensive solidity in games. So now we have the particularly against those teams outside the top six, we have the obviously the attack and quality to not always break them down but wear them down because if you have them penned in they're gonna make mistakes and we have um we have that patience. There's no sort of panic on our side if we can't get through immediately. And um you you can sort of feel that amongst supporters that there isn't that anxiety like, are we gonna drop points here? It seems a case of when rather than if we're gonna get the breakthrough. And then equally at the other end of the pitch, you don't get the impression that we're gonna concede stupid goals. Um I mean We've conceded so few goals this season now that we have that confidence. And with set pieces as well, like you mentioned, that Brighton, one of their avenues for potentially scoring goals against the big teams is those set pieces. But the anxiety that we used to feel every time other teams won corners, that seems to have evaporated now. It just seems like, oh, maybe we can go down the other end and score a goal on the counter here. So, so yeah, I just think that the mentality of the team's changed and we have all the the tools now not to be making sort of stupid mistakes in these games and um picking up those points in uh basically covering up the points against the sides that you can't really afford to drop them against when you compete with a team as good as Man City. Yeah, completely. I'm gonna hit you guys with a couple of couple more numbers here. Um Liverpool have only conceded equalizers in two games this season. The only teams to have equalized us against us this season were Arsenal which we drew one all, and then Man United, which obviously we went on to win 3-1. And we've only fallen behind on four occasions, um, and three of those were against uh, top sides as well, Chelsea, Man City, and um, and Arsenal. Um, obviously, in three of those cases, we uh, not, uh, the other team was obviously Burnley. And in, in two of those cases, we've gone on to win the game against Arsenal and Burnley, and then against Chelsea, we nabbed that late equaliser. So, you know, it is the case that mentally Liverpool are not conceding you know, stupid goals. They're not throwing away games that they're leading. But equally, if we are going behind, we are showing that we can come back from that. You know, there is every single time, every single game we've fallen behind in this season, we've equalised. Obviously, the City game we went on to lose two one anyway. But but you know, it's still a big thing for me that we were still able to equalise in that game because there's been many a year where even going one nil down against City that would have been that. Um, Leanne, I want to address something else that Ash has flirted with a couple of times, which is um, areas and players in the team that maybe indicate we've still got room for improvement um obviously uh two players that we're hoping will be able to come back into the team sooner rather than later are joel matip and joe gomez to sort of re-establish the really really strong defensive game that's been the core part of our side but also i think one player i'm, I'm sure you're keen to talk about is um is nabi Keita, who's obviously maybe not maybe not been a disappointment but he's been one player that hasn't quite been able to hit the form that a lot of people are hoping he'd hit for for one reason or another and then obviously Fabinho, who has increasingly become a big part of our midfield, but hasn't been able to start consistently, especially in the big game. So what's your take on that? How much scope do you think there still is for this Liverpool team to become better and better in the back half of the season? Yeah, I think there's there's quite a lot of room or areas that we could improve. I think, you know, cr- credit to what the team has done so far. But especially when you're looking at players like Naby Keita, who came into the team in the summer and, and the expectation was that he was really going to lift this Liverpool team, lift the midfield and, and become the star man. And, and that's not quite happened for him yet. That's not to say it won't happen. I think a lot of people are still very much aware of his qualities. A, c- a couple of poor games, you know, a, a bad performance against Wolves where everyone played pretty poorly and, and it was a group of lads who have never played together before. Doesn't diminish his quality as much as rival fans will tell you otherwise. Um, but yeah, it's, I think it's, it's more with Cater, it's more a frustration that he's not quite hit the heights yet. We, you know, we had to wait for him to join Liverpool. We saw him hitting all kinds of heights in the Bundesliga, taking on players at will, scoring lots of goals and being that real surge of energy from midfield. And, and you know, we haven't quite seen that aspect of things yet. And, and that's something that I think when we do, he will really, really thrive in this Klopp system. Um, so it's just waiting for, for players like Cater to kick into gear. Fabinho has now kind of kicked into gear. He is starting to really... Uh, show his qualities, whether that be in, in centre-back, which for him it looks like he's going to be playing against Brighton and, and possibly against Palace, um, depending on Joel Matip for that one. But yeah, I, I think you're completely right when you say there are still areas that this Liverpool team can improve. There are still avenues of which Klopp can look to exploit. Um, and, and that's all about, you know, 
players like Shakiri coming into the team this season and, and really giving us a lift. Look at that Man U game, for example, where he came on and he really changed the game. His energy and his dynamism just kind of turned the game on its head. And, and that is the aspect that Liverpool need to keep going. They need to be able to, to keep almost rotating those players, to keep bringing them on with 20 or 30 minutes to go so that you know when the time comes, they are able to come on and make a big impact. So, yeah, I think as well as this Liverpool team are doing, and as great as the league position is at the moment, I think there's so many positives about what can still be achieved this season and, and going into the, the longer-term future as well. Um, and, and as you mentioned there, it's it's a case of the defence as well. The the only concern will be about the, the recent injuries, and I think it's kind of highlighted that the defence doesn't have much depth and it is kind of reliant on Virgil van Dijk, which you know brings us back to Dave's point earlier about how important he is to this side. If Liverpool can kind of stave off those injuries, if if they can keep up the momentum of the next couple of games and really get that that rhythm back, and of course Man City have got a lot harder fixtures, then players like Cater, Fabinho, Shakiri, uh, Gomez when he comes back, they will automatically lift Liverpool. Yeah, absolutely, they will. Um, and I think you know the sort of the time frames we are looking at for Gomez and Matip coalesce really nicely with the way our season's coming coming together because we've obviously got we've got Brighton this weekend then we've got Palace but then we've got a weekend off with the with no FA Cup football then we've got uh, the midweek game against Leicester but then we haven't got another game until um we've got Bournemouth sorry then we've got a couple of weeks off until until Bayern so we are in a situation here where we've got you know our centre-backs got plenty of time to recover for the big games and we're not going to miss too much football in the meantime so it does put us nicely in a situation where we can be a little more our schedule is a little bit nicer than it could have been, especially when you compare it to the likes of Man City and Spurs, who've got obviously a lot more games with being in multiple competitions. Um, so I do, before we finish up, want to touch on something that has been discussed already, which is the mentality. And I want to talk about pressure. Uh, I'm going to open this one out to the floor. Um, Ash, you can jump in first, but if anyone wants to respond, go ahead. Um, have you seen anything in the last couple of games? I know you've touched on it already. Um to suggest that Liverpool can't handle the pressure of being out in front? Um, or do you think that Liverpool have shown consistently that they are a team that is going to take it one game at a time that can cope with the pressure? Um, I mean, obviously, it's not something we can maybe answer in January because the pressure's not reached its crescendo yet. But do you think there are signs there that Liverpool can handle that sort of thing going into the, the back end of what's going to be a really, really crucial season? Yeah, I think I think they can, Tom. I think you know, even the Man City game. You know, you look at that equaliser. That equaliser was such, you know, composure in the play, the quality of that execution for that goal. It was just an incredible goal. You know, looking at it back and to kind of execute a goal like that in such a big game when you were goal down and you know you, you're facing such a dangerous team like Man City on the break. I think it was just just you know testament to the way the players believe in the system, in their abilities. And I think you know that that was worthy of winning the game alone. Just that that um, the cross from Trent and the way it was cushioned by um, Robertson into Firmino. Um, so I think you know it's disappointing the way we conceded that second goal. It was a sloppy goal to concede the second against City. And it would been interesting to see if it remained you know stalemate for a bit longer. You know we could well have won that game because we were on the front foot pushing forward. Um, and I think we showed. Kind of pre-champion spirit, the way we kind of went, went, you know, after going to goal down, weathered the storm a bit first half, and then, although I think did they, I can't remember the timing of the goal in the first half. I think it was towards the end, but we certainly steadied the ship, and then at times in the second half, really looked like the only team that was going to win it. Um, we didn't win it in the end, but I think just the way we battled and had City on the rack at the end, I think it just showed that we really believe we can score goals against anyone. I think that's the most important thing. You know, we we can play a bit more expansive. We've got the security at the back. And I think we just know, back to your point earlier, Tom, about the fast starts. I think where the big difference is this season, when we score first, we don't necessarily feel the need to score straight away and score a second because we are confident that we will get the chances and we have the quality to, you know, ride out anything the opposition will throw at us. And then we go back and we know that we'll eventually will break them down with our quality. I think that's that sort of mindset that we need to take into these coming games because I think four points, to be four points ahead at City at this stage, I think was a bonus and I don't think anyone was really expecting it. I mean, it would have been great to be 10 points ahead, but I think probably having the four-point gap means no one can really rest on their laurels. And I think Klopp's just built a mentality now where it's just one game at a time, 
focus on that game, get through it, move on to the next one. And I think once, you know, as I say, players coming into form, keeping everyone fit, I think we've just shown that we've got the metal now and the belief that we can do it. So I think key thing is to win this Brighton game. I think if we lose or draw, I think there'll be slight question marks and, you know, talk of a wobble. But I think generally speaking, when, when we get a bad result, we tend to respond with a good one. Um, so we never have consecutive bad results. You know, I know we've lost two games in a row, but I'm not counting the FA Cup. That was a bit of a farce anyway. And Klopp cl- clearly didn't care about it. So, um, I think, you know, beat Brighton and we're in good shape. We'll carry on where we left off. And I think, you know, I'm hoping that City will drop more points and then we'll pull, pull away seven point lead. And I think if we get a seven point lead, I can just see, you know, especially if we start, you know, we keep scoring the goals like we have been prior to the City game. I think they'll just eventually lose hope of catching us and, um, the gap could potentially become wider. So we just had to focus on just get the three points anyway, which way we can at the moment. Just keep that lead, and I think eventually they'll crack under the pressure of chasing us. One would hope. Um, Dave, is there anything you wanted to add before we wrap up? I think the short answer to the question of whether we can cope with the pressure is we don't really know yet because a lot of the players we have in the team haven't really been in this situation before. One thing that might help is Klopp's experience in Germany, obviously competing against Bayern Munich, it's sort of sort of a similar situation. I can see a bit of a parallel between Dortmund, the Bayern, Liverpool, Man City. Um, so we just need the leaders in the team to come through. But I look back to that um, Napoli game where that was like um, the only real must-win match we've had this season um, after some really poor performances earlier in the group. And although we probably made it a little bit difficult for ourselves, all the chances we missed, um, we managed to come through it. Um, so I think that's potentially one of the indicators that we do have the the mental strength to when it gets towards the end of the season and we the pressure is ramped up and we need to win those games that we might um we might have the metal to do it. So just fingers crossed, really. Yeah, as you say, we you know we we can't know for sure. We're never going to be in a situation where we, where we know, but obviously we can look at what we've already seen and sort of draw some conclusions from that, I suppose. Um. So yeah, this was a really good pod, guys. I am really, really happy with the way that this has all gone. It's been we've had some really interesting discussion. I'm going to stick with you, Dave. Is there anything else that you've got out on the site at the moment that you want to plug, or anything else you've got going on elsewhere you want to talk about? Um, not announced at the moment, but I'll be writing after the Brighton game on Saturday. So assuming we win, um, I'll be writing about who the man of the match was. Um, and I always quite enjoy writing those those articles. And then also just um. A little plug for my uh, Twitter account, which is Dave underscore Comerford. So um, if you can follow me on there, I'm happy to like um, discuss all like the little relevant Liverpool topics. But yeah, I think that's it. Cool. And Ash, is there anything you've got out at the moment you want to talk about? Uh, nothing at the moment, Tom, but I'll be writing soon, no doubt. And uh, hopefully if we can keep up our winning run, then uh, you know, I'll be just elaborating on my uh, positivity and belief that we can do it this season so um, I think you know we lost to City but let's not detract from the fact that you know we've got an excellent team here and they've shown that they've got the credentials to go all the way and so um, let's just enjoy the ride really Yeah cool and Leanne is there anything that you've got out at the moment you want to plug? Yeah so I've I had a couple of articles out in the last few weeks um, I guess the first one which feeds in quite nicely from what we've just discussed is um an article on how Liverpool need to respond, so looking ahead to not just the Brighton game, but the next four or five games and, and kind of matching it up with Manchester City's fixture list. It it looks like a really good opportunity to, for Liverpool, not just to, to regain their momentum after two defeats, but actually, you know, extend that gap to City back to potentially seven points. So Man City obviously have, have a, uh, a harder fixture list ahead of them. That's not to say that they won't get through it with ease. Um, but it does present an opportunity, so it's just an interesting one to see how Liverpool cope with that. Um, and the second one is, of course, about Oxlade-Chamberlain and the news that he could be back in February or early March. And if he is provided uh, there are no you know, injury setbacks um, on his recovery, then it could provide Liverpool with a, a very, very big boost in the running and, and just kind of looking at him and, and how he started off pretty sluggishly within this Liverpool team, but really grew into it and became such a big part of the midfield picture and, and having him back 
you know, this Liverpool team has done a lot without him, but actually having him back will extend that further. And so it's an exciting prospect and hopefully we get to see him before the season's out. Um, but apart from that, um, nothing really from me other than um, it's good to be back with the pod. And you can find me on Twitter at underscore LFC Leanne. Yeah, Leanne, Leanne Prescott in writing Alex Oxlade-Chamberlain in Article Shocker. Um, <laughs> no, it will be great to have him back. Um, yeah, as for me, I have just got a couple of bits out at the moment. I've got one which I think is really interesting on who and how Liverpool have been scoring uh, them sort of more important goals. So I mentioned a couple in this article about how, you know, who's been scoring Liverpool's most important goals and when are they being scored, which I think is a really good look. Um, you can find me on Twitter at TomHolmes19. And yeah, uh, just, yeah, this pod is something that myself and Leanne really enjoy. We've been doing it for a while now and we're getting, I think, we've had a couple of weeks off, uh, had a bit of a chat about it and we're going to hopefully get back into the swing of things as the new year's kicking off. Um, but we always appreciate your feedback on the pod and we always appreciate anything. If you're not on the Discord, hop on the Discord and say hey. Um, other than that, that is all from us this week. We will be back next week, hopefully with some really good guests again and some really good content. Thank you so much for coming on, guys. And thank you so much for listening. Podcast Network.